Hi, I'm Shayna Atuk, and I'm a student researcher at Homedell High School. Hey, my name is Fruit Charkis, and I am passionately against yellow Laffy Taffy. Hello, I'm Joey Amy. I am a complete computer nerd, and welcome to the first episode of the podcast, Mind the Space. Today we have three amazing topics planned for you guys, and uh, to start the first topic, I'll hand it off to Farouk. So, NASA recently named their newfound constellations after fictional characters and ships, like the Incredible Hulk, Thor's Hammer Mjolnir, Godzilla, the Little Prince, which is apparently from a French children's book that's really famous and is classic to most French speakers in literature altogether, and then the USS Enterprise from Star Trek, and then, of course, TARDIS from Doctor Who. So I find this pretty interesting. It makes me wonder that if the Greeks named the constellations after pop culture figures, and now we see the constellation names as like, oh, super serious. And then now, like a thousand years later, they're going to be like, whoa, they named the constellation Hulk? Like, dang, you know? Yeah, to the Greeks, mythology was their pop culture. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting, though, because um, mythology was definitely their pop culture, but it was also their gods. So um, while they were naming uh, things after their gods, I wonder what that says about <laughs> culture these days. Are, are these our gods? Uh, just an interesting thought. Um, so an interesting fact about these new constellations, they're gamma ray constellations, which I, I think it's funny because they named one of them after the Hulk because he was created by gamma rays. Yeah, also notable is uh, the TARDIS, which is technically a ship from Doctor Who. Um, since it uh, basically traverses time and space, um, the fact that these constellations are um, formed out of gamma ray stars, effectively, it's stuff that we can't see. And time and space, well, the fabric of it anyway, is often depicted as something we can't see. It's just the impacts of which that we do. Definitely. Um, isn't TARDIS a telephone booth, not a ship? I-, I don't know. I've never actually seen it. It's a telephone booth that sort of flies through space it stands for time and relative dimensions in space anything is a ship if you really believe it (laughs) that's great i'm gonna tell that next time my teacher um gets mad at me for throwing a paper airplane yeah so i mean it's actually kind of cool that that there are gamma ray constellations because that means that when you look up at the night sky you're not seeing the whole picture space is lying to us wow space is a liar good to know um it, it's the, these uh, constellations were found by very very powerful telescopes that found these constellations out millions millions i don't know how many light years away it was a lot of light years away which is the distance light can travel in a year um and it's incredible that they can find things like this where our eyes can't see can see practically nothing especially with the atmosphere yeah and uh it was an expensive telescope so it better find the stars. Yeah, I hope that was worth something. Yeah, this is pretty cool because uh, that means that you can look up at the night sky and say, oh, there's Hulk. Well, technically you can't see it. Yeah. You just know it's kind of there, omnipresent. Omnipresent. Hey, Hulk's <laughs> up in the sky protecting me. Yeah, um, and, and Mjolnir and God. Well, I'm not sure you want to know that Godzilla's up in the sky watching you, but, you know. And there's also one named after Albert Einstein and the Golden Gate Bridge and a lot of other non-pop culture figures, too. And the Coliseum. Wow. I mean, I wouldn't say that those aren't 
pop culture things. I mean, anyone who travels, I mean, anyone who's taken history at any point in time knows what the Coliseum is. Everybody knows what the Golden Gate Bridge is if you watch basketball. Um, everybody, I feel like they named it after things that everybody knows, which is a great way to be naming things these days. That's how the Greeks named it. That's how the Romans named mm-hmm. soldiers that they discovered after things that everybody in their culture knew and everybody in our culture knows. So what I find weird with that is like, I can just imagine at NASA, right? They're like, okay, we have to try and figure out where this other star is. If you go 33 degrees off of Godzilla and then t- take a 45 degree right at the Golden Gate Bridge and then continue for 90 light years off of Mjolnir or whatever, you'll get to the star that we need to find, which is Laffy Taffy. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I will say, though, do you think that these the, the constellation names were the best thing that they could think of? Because if you think about it, everybody remembers the Roman gods and because they named the planets after them. Do you think that we could have maybe... I, I, I know that these um, these constellations won't be visible unless space travel, deep space travel, becomes a thing much quicker than we thought. But still, I feel like people might remember these longer now that they're immortalized in, com- in constellations. Is there anything else you would have named them? I personally would have named them after, like, people in the office. Like... Oh. Is that what you want people to remember in a thousand years? Oh, yeah. I mean, Adam, that took my lunch out of the refrigerator. Yeah, I mean, everybody needs to remember that guy. Oh, goodness. It'd be a good office laugh. I'm cracking up right now. There's a Schrodinger's cat. Well, we don't know if it is or if it isn't in the sky, technically, because you can't see gamma rays with the naked eye. Yeah. Nope. So it's always suspended in that impossibility. So is the gamma ray star visible to the naked eye when you get close to it like are you just you know sailing in space and then you know bam you crash into a planet like oh well you see Farouk um the human eye is only able to view a certain small slice of all the possible electromagnetic waves in the universe right this is what we call the visible spectrum it goes from red to ultraviolet well not quite ultraviolet somewhere a little bit before there purple purple so we should use cats cats can't cats see ultraviolet I I can't Okay, interesting. Shrimp. Shrimp can see more than we can. So I learned that sentence this week. Fun fact. Okay, well, um... But yeah, gamma rays have the highest electromagnetic radiation of the electromagnetic spectrum, so they're, like, very, very far past ultraviolet. So then, would you see the stars if you were, like, orbiting the star? I think it just has, like, a very, very intense energy, and that's why they're able to pick it up with their Fermi telescope. Oh, okay, I I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, we can't see it right now since it's far away, but we know it's there because of the energy it's getting off. I mean, gamma radiation, is, it isn't good for your body either way. Depends on who you ask. I mean, the whole, he's only famous because of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, kids, don't go trying to find a gamma ray star to turn into the Hulk. It's not gonna work. If you believe hard enough, it will. No, Farouk, it, it's life. That, that just doesn't happen. I'm sorry. Bursting your reality bubble. All you have to do is just sign a waiver and it'll be okay. Don't sign a waiver. So, did you guys hear about the Russian rocket, the failure? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was on the news. Um, quite a bit, actually. I was surprised how much coverage it got. Um, 
So uh, I think uh, some of the details were if it was a Russian rocket taking two passengers, um, if I'm correct, a Russian cosmonaut and a American astronaut up to the International Space Station, correct? I'm not sure if cosmonauts the correct term. Shana? Yeah, I think they're called cosmonauts in Russia. Because um, remember back in the space race, we were referring to ours as astronauts and theirs as cosmonauts. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's still the modern term. I interesting fact, before I forget it, because um, you mentioned Chinese-based agencies. Chinese, I can't remember if it was a private company or just a person, launched a private spacecraft into orbit. And it was like the first Chinese one. That was on the news too. Cool. Yeah, but, but this Russian rocket, I mean, it failed going up, although it didn't kill the astronauts or cosmonauts, however you want to call them. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, but it had a success rate of 97.3%. Which shows either we're unlucky, or the rocket was unlucky, or Russia's unlucky, or luck does not exist. Sure. Soyuz is the only human-rated spacecraft that's used to get people to and from the space station. So this sort of inability to have a reliable means of transport is even more difficult when you consider how hard it is to get anything into space. Right. Definitely, definitely. Atmosphere's quite annoying. Those darn Russians. Yeah. <laughs> what? I was thinking about, okay, atmosphere. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we are looking to new, like, commercial spaceflight options and the likely what SpaceX, Boeing, and other promising companies. But, like, it just, it's a bit strange having the privatization of space. Yeah. Do you think that's a good thing or not, though, is the question. I definitely think it is, because whenever NASA and government agencies were the only things doing space, um, then, <laughs> like, I, I feel like um, the innovation wasn't as great as it was whenever, like, the governments were racing against each other once they lost the, um, once people got to the moon and then they ran out of money. It just kind of stopped there. We haven't really done much. The International Space Station, um, the, the shuttle programs, they were all really cheap compared to the Apollo missions. Right. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely pros and cons for privatization of the space industry. But I will say that from an economic standpoint, it's definitely much better to have companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin to handle these launches rather than um, government agencies. But from a human perspective, I'd much rather have spacecraft created by the government for a national purpose to land on the moon rather than a company who's loyal to a paycheck. But I mean, with even like successive missions after Apollo 11, the public was often questioning, all right, we've gotten on the moon now, so what do we do? Right. So, um, yeah, even though we've had like all these experiments, um, collecting moon rocks, samples, studying it. Uh, dropping that hammer and feather to prove the whole one-sixth gravity is constant. Everyone was always asking, so what now? Yeah, so I mean, what's next? I, I feel like what's next is not necessarily Mars. I feel like the next step for private companies, especially to like prove their worth in the space industry, is to get back to the moon. I mean, I I've heard many astronauts speak of this, astronauts I met um, at a conference with um, Shane and Luke in Dallas a couple weeks ago, they all said that Mars is not this next place we should land. We should go back to the moon. There's only been 12 people on it. Mm -hmm. um, experimentations we can do on the moon, practices for Mars, that kind of thing. And I, I just, I agree with that completely. Um, private industries are definitely going to allow more people into space, allow more people to get interested in space. Mm -hmm. And whenever 
you know, I mean, I'm not sure how far off this is. This is hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, spaceflight is affordable for everyone. Then I mean, you're gonna have tourist groups going up and orbiting from Earth, floating around in zero gravity, and I mean that. Who wouldn't want to go into space like that? Yes. Yeah, so, would you agree with the principle of if you can see one, you can be one? Oh yeah. I mean, can can you elaborate on that principle? I mean, if you ta- are you talking about astronauts? Yeah. Or? Astronauts. Like, as soon as we make space more accessible to people, as we've said before, with commercial space flight, there's companies that are offering uh, zero gravity um, or close to zero gravity parabola flights, while very expensive to sort of hype up the public into thinking, hey, you know, maybe it's a little easier to get into astronaut training now that we've developed this tech to a point where it can get on a, while relatively expensive, consumer level. Right. I mean, definitely, whenever we start getting cheaper and cheaper, the space industry becomes cheaper and cheaper for the average person, it's definitely going to be more and more people interested in not just the suborbital flights, but exploring further. I know I would be if I got to go on a suborbital flight, experience close to zero gravity, I'd be like, there's more out there. I need to do more. I need to go further. I want to walk on the moon. I want to visit other planets. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, we're kind of a biased audience. We're all space nerds here. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So, Charlie Duke, on his mission, Near the end, when um, they're wrapping everything up, what he did was um, he wanted to, to set the highest jump record in the world. So what he does, what he does is he starts jumping, and um, as he's jumping, he realizes, oh, okay, so if I straighten my back, I'll get a higher jump. So while he's jumping, he straightens his back, and what he does is he flips over on his back. Now um, Charlie Duke, when he met him, he said that, you know, I was like. I realized that, you know, the uh, the suit's backpack is uh, made out of carbon fiber. So if it breaks, then, you know, the guy's dead. So, I mean, he described it as, like, his most scariest part of a space flight. But then, thankfully, he flips last second and then lands on the moon surface safely. Yes, um, that was definitely a, a high point in space missions because of the moon missions. Um, that happened on Apollo 16. They called it the Lunar Olympics, and I, they did like some activities, and then Charlie Duke wanted to break the high jump record. So um, it, it was quite amazing hearing the, the story about it, because oh, the question that brought the story about was, did you fear at any point during your mission? And he immediately said no, I had no, I didn't fear, and then he thought for a second, d- decided that the Lunar Olympics was, um, was a scary moment. If he had landed incorrectly, he would have died. And that's definitely, definitely very crazy to think about. Yeah. And he said that he was really embarrassed to see that the TV camera was pointed right at him. And I mean, I would be too. I mean, you're on a moon mission in front of the whole entire world. And, you know, you fall on, on your arm. I don't know how he handled that. Like, he's he's quite the hero. That he took bright red. Yeah. But, I, I mean, an interesting point to think about. How different would the moon landings have been if Charlie Duke hadn't popped his arm to the moon? First of all, we would not have one less amazing person in the world. And second of all, do you think it would have interrupted the space exploration of the other planets on the 
I think it would have been devastating for the American people to know that an astronaut died on the moon because of like an engineering failure. Because already we had difficulties with public reception after things like uh, the Apollo 1 fire. Yeah, and like various other disasters like the Challenger missions and the like. We've seen that the public themselves, they are skeptical of a lot of the difficulties that are involved in getting anybody to space. That like any difficulties, like any screw up potentially, would de defer public sentiment. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I do think though that on this subject, people can be a little bit insensitive because you have people rallying against like these space, these moon missions and stuff because people could potentially get hurt. But what I think some people don't really realize is that these astronauts live for this. This is what they're going for. This is th this is their dream to be on the moon here. And if you disrupt that, astronauts would be devastated. I mean, reading some of these astronauts' biographies, whenever the Apollo program ended, they were yeah. devastated. Yeah, I mean, look at what Apollo 13 did, just the disaster that happened, and nobody died. It shortened the Apollo program by around 30 missions. I mean, and that's, nobody died there. If Charlie Duke had died in that moment, it would have been perhaps a really big devastation to just the American space program. If the American space program had started up again before the private companies began to take over, it still would have been the end right. of the because, yeah, the mercy of the space program is towards how much the public believes in it. Like, around the space race, um, a lot of the media at the time was really hyping up, like, our, um, with the Soviet Union on who would get to the moon first. So a lot of the public was driving the enthusiasm around uh, funding the space program and making sure that we could actually achieve this. But, again, after we actually achieved getting on the moon, it was always about the what